0: this morning, John chapter 16, going to finish this section on Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. He's taught his disciples in the upper room in chapter 14, 15, and now here 16 on the Holy Spirit. This is the final word to the disciples here that he is going to teach them. An important word, and specifically here that the mission of the Holy Spirit is indicated for us his mission is to glorify Jesus Christ. He glorifies him by proclaiming him enabling those who hear the message to heed and receive that message. He reminded if you remember in this context here in John chapter 16 that is that he's going away. That is, (coughs) Jesus would be ascending back to heaven from above where he came. He's going away, and the disciples, though, they're mostly concerned about their own personal loss. They're sorrowful. They'll miss Jesus, which is understandable. And so Jesus has to remind them here in this context verse 7, that him going away is actually better for them. It is it is of great advantage because ascending on high creates the condition which Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness, has atoned for sin, is ascending as the king of glory, restored in that perfection, and it is based on that accomplishment that something unique will happen, and that is he will send the holy spirit it'll be profitable for them individually and corporately as the body of christ here in the earth to have the holy spirit to work in a unique way because there's a great mission for the disciples They have really a monumental task. They are, after all, disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, or Christians. How could they possibly fill those shoes? How would you like to to do that? Monumental task indeed. They would need power from on high, if you will, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit. They're going to proclaim the word. They're going to tell people about the judgment to come, about sin and unrighteousness, and point to the righteous one, that is Jesus Christ. But how will they convince convince anyone? Well, they'll do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended on high, he told them prior to his ascension, you can find in Acts 1.8, that they will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes, and they will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and might I add, to the end of the age. It is that Holy Spirit that will come along and provide the power behind the very message that is proclaimed by these disciples, these who are to follow in the steps of Christ They can't do it on their own. It is the convincing power then of the Holy Spirit who will use that proclamation of the word, not words of men's wisdom, but the simple preaching of the cross. The Holy Spirit will take that word and powerfully work. Paul recounts to the church at Colossae in Colossians 1, 27, that him we proclaim, speaking of Christ, him we proclaim, warning every, everyone <coughs> and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that is God's wisdom, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. And he goes on to say, for this I toil, struggling, yeah, he's putting a lot of effort and energy into it for sure, but with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Who is that? That's through the power of the Holy Spirit. No wonder Paul accomplished such great things. Because it is really the work, ultimately, of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus sends, who Jesus says is to your advantage. It's demonstrated here as the apostles turn the world upside down with the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers this proclamation, then, to accomplish the purposes for which it's intended. We, now we should be able to discuss these things with people, debate various topics of the day, provide cogent arguments, factual evidence concerning truth, but it is the very role of the Holy Spirit then to open blind eyes so they can actually see the truth. As Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, he says the natural person, or in other words, the state of man in his current condition, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them. So here they're out preaching this great truth and its foolishness to the people who hear it, and he recognizes they can't even understand it, how will they find it to be wisdom? And how will they find it to be understanding? This is the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. He would say they are spiritually discerned. That's how they'll come about. Oh yes, you must proclaim, you must teach, you must preach, you must argue for the truth, point to the truth, but recognize all in all it is the work of the Holy Spirit who will enable blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear, and dead hearts to pump again with the very life of Christ. He we tell the church in his second letter to Corinth, chapter 4, that our gospel then is veiled. It is veiled to those that are perishing. You ever feel like that when you're out preaching the gospel as though they can't even see it? You can explain it, you put it out there, and as, a, as if it's completely covered up. Because the God of this world, he will say, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. They don't have eyes, and then they've got a mask over their eyes. They can't see. It is to keep them from seeing, what? The light of the gospel of what? Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, and that is Paul's work, what we proclaim, well, it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sakes. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness. This is God at creation. He said, let there be light. That's what he's pointing to in that analogy. He says, he has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Do you have the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus? Do you see him? Do you have affections for Christ? and appreciation for him? A love for Christ? Do you have a knowledge of who he is? Can I tell you where it comes from? This is the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. It isn't because you're lucky. It isn't because you're a good intellectual thinker it isn't just because you come across some great ideas this is the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit who has come to show us the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and beloved it is glorious enabled by the Holy Spirit this is the work of the Holy Spirit to which Jesus points to now as he hands this off to the Holy Spirit who is to come as he teaches his disciples then and now it is significant and important for us to know this note our key phrase will be in verse 14 I'll read a little bit more of the context in a minute but I just want you to highlight, circle know at least this verse 14 he will glorify me that's what the Holy Spirit does Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? What is he doing then? What is he doing now? He is glorifying Jesus Christ. That's important to know. Let's read it in its context. And I'll just pick up at verse 4 of chapter 16. But I've said these things to you so that when, when their hour comes, you can remember that I told them to you. I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and and none of you ask me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, so has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit, would you indeed declare these things of Christ to us? For some, it may be your first glimpse of the glory of Christ, and may they indeed, from their heart, confess Him as Lord. For those of us who cherish Christ, may our cherishing be stronger. May our affections grow deeper. May our knowledge increase in Christ, that we might truly grow in grace and the knowledge of you, and may it be that which has a great and profound practical implication in all of our lives. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. This step here that we're looking at follows the work of the Holy Spirit to the saints, as we talked about last week. He will verse thirteen. The Spirit of Truth, as He's described, just as Christ is truth. Here, the Spirit is truth. They're one and of the same essence. When He comes, He will guide the believers into that truth. That is into Christ's truth. But notice verse fourteen. As I mentioned, here is a second aspect for the work of the Holy Spirit to the saints, and that all that He does will glorify. Jesus Christ, verse 14. He will glorify me. Glorifying here is, in this sense, is showing forth or revealing. That is, revealing that which is beautiful about Jesus Christ. That which is perfect in every respect. God is ultimately concerned with displaying his glory. The heavens declare his glory even now. All creatures do. They show forth the beauty of his handiwork, his design, and how he holds this together, but most of us function in great blindness. It will take the Spirit of God to be able to demonstrate and to show forth His glory. But this is ultimately what God is about. In our catechisms, we ask what's the chief end, that is, the purpose of man. It's to glorify God, to show forth His glory and enjoy Him forever. Uh, They go in hand in hand. It is great joy to see the beauty of who God is returned in a different way than what would be the chief end of God. His glory. Paul would say, "For, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God, I'd argue, is most fully seen by looking into the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus Christ. Particularly in his mission, you can see the attributes on display, his mission to seek and to save that which is lost, and by destroying the very works of the devil. At this point, I want to remind you that we can be confused about redemption Salvation is not primarily about getting you out of the predicament that you're in, on your way, condemned already to hell. It is really, ultimately, about God displaying His glory. Showing forth His glory. What are aspects of it? Many. But here's some. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, patience, kindness and it can go on and on and on. See, these are aspects of his glory, the beauty of his divine attributes. These can be most clearly seen as you look to Jesus Christ and as the Holy Spirit enables you, that is, enlightens you to be able to see the beauty of who Christ is. This was what Christ was about, ultimately his glory. Veiled in flesh it might be, but it's still glorious, and there are glimpses of it in Scripture. And back certain points in time where something comes about and Jesus says, Okay, it is now time for my glory to be manifest, to be put on display, to be shown forth. John twelve twenty three. The shift has come for him to enter into Passion Week. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? To be glorified. That is how he is going to explain and describe what we would call the Passion Week. His suffering, torture, really, rejection, suffering, pain, the crucifixion, his death, his burial, and yet his glorious resurrection. All of this is described as his time to be glorified. This is his accomplishment of the atonement for sinful men. The Holy Spirit will then point to that. In the garden, Jesus is praying in John 12, 28. He says... Father, glorify your name. That's what he's about. And the Father responds, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In the upper room, we just reviewed in John 13, when Judas is then sent out, the statement is made, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. God is glorified. Judas is sent out. It's a preview of the destruction of that which is evil, the works of the devil, and Christ's glory is on display as he Sends out Judas. In John chapter seventeen. Christ finishes his mission as he's finishing it up. He says, "I've glorified you on earth." John seventeen four. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Remember, in the incarnation. He has the glory, but it's veiled in flesh. And now here, sitting on high, his glory will be shown in fullness. This is the beauty of Christ, and his glory is now fully in on display. The work of the Holy Spirit, then, here in our text, as Jesus would say in verse 14, He's sent by the Father and the Son to continue the same mission that is to glorify or show forth the beauty of who God is and specifically in drawing sinners to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and bringing them to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and worship him to the glory of God the Father. Redemption ultimately is centrally focused on Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit functions as a spotlight, a floodlight, to point to the cross. That's what the Holy Spirit is about, pointing to Christ. Jesus Christ alone is prophet. Listen to him. He is priest interceding for you, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the only mediator and is one of the reasons we use this phrase from a reform perspective that that is solus Christus, that is Christ alone. The Father sends the sent the Son to reveal the glory of God and the Holy Spirit then illuminates that glory. He will glorify me, as the scripture says. That is glorify Christ. Secondly, in our text, notice verse 14 of John 16. He will glorify, show forth, that is declare, and specifically the object, let me focus on, it is on Jesus Christ, as I've already alluded to. This is the opposite of magnifying and glorifying himself. That is, he's not going to glorify himself, show forth himself, The task of the Holy Spirit is to show forth Christ. So in in that respect, he minimizes himself. A number of theologians describe then the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, not that it's any lesser, but that he functions more or less like the silent member. Or some have said the shy member. Not that he's shy, but it, But the, the point is this. The work of the Holy Spirit is to do what? Is to magnify... Jesus Christ it isn't to magnify himself this is greatly misunderstood and specifically in our day quite a bit no one is going to come to the father but through the son and no one will come to the son without the work of the spirit this is functional economic trinity as we might call it Now, you should and can acknowledge the Holy Spirit and his work. Worship the Holy Spirit. He is indeed God. You wouldn't lie to the Holy Spirit. You can even pray to the Holy Spirit. I normally pray very traditionally, our Father. Because I think of my union with God and, and adoption into the family, which is brought about by the Holy Spirit, but directed towards him because Christ has directed us to pray. But if you wish to pray to the Spirit, you certainly can. This is God. But you have to remember in all of that, his role, his mission is to show forth and declare not himself, but Christ. That is to make Christ known. And today, this is where charismatics and Pentecostals have very much missed the mark. It's a bit telling when you see that they have a tendency to emphasize a dove or flames of fire tongues rather than the cross. The Holy Spirit is going to point to Christ. And if you want an icon, choose the cross. He isn't going to draw attention to himself. And if he does, you can already see something is misguided. Now, for years, I've thought about this and really thought of the charismatic movement in a bit more benign thinking. Much of it is wrong and so forth, but like a lot of things, I mean, the gospel is intermingled there. I do think it clouds the gospel at times. But I've come to think in more recent days that it is much more than something that's just theologically wrong. I think it's totally misdirected, particularly in focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit and what is emphasized. John MacArthur has done a yeoman's work on this. I don't even remember how many years ago that I read Charismatic Chaos. 20 or 30, however old it is. I didn't look it up. And then he came out with a new work called Strange Fire. One of the things that have to compliment him about is that he doesn't mind standing up to bat and hitting a home run. Not afraid of what others might say. And this is a hard thing to take on because what we'd rather do is have the, you know, Rodney King theology where everybody just gets along. Well, that would be fine if we were all in Christ, but we're not. And there's great danger out there. And the apostles have constantly told us to be aware of false prophets, and this is a great way in which the Holy Spirit's role, as I thought about it now, particularly in the text, of what his objective is. This is taking his role and really blaspheming God. Because if you don't wind up focusing on Christ, you've totally missed the mark. And there's no salvation any other way. There's no mediator between God and man other than the person of Jesus Christ. We'll be talking about this to a greater length on our Wednesday. I encourage you to participate. We can chat about this a little bit more. We happen to be going through church history on Wednesday nights and we're right here in the 1900s as the beginning of the Pentecostal movement but let me just read a couple selections I have time here from MacArthur's work and comment here in his book called Strange Fire I recommend uh, getting it in it he, he states this the charismatic theology has turned the evangelical church into a cesspool of error and a breeding ground for false teachers. It has warped genuine worship through unbridled emotionalism, polluted prayer with private gibberish, contaminated true spirituality with unbiblical mysticism, and corrupted faith by turning it into a creative force for speaking worldly desires into existence. By elevating the authority of experience over the authority of Scripture... The charismatic movement has destroyed the church's immune system, uncritically granting free access to every imaginal form, imaginable form of her- heretical teaching and practice. Put bluntly, charismatic theology has made no contribution to true biblical theology or interpretation. And rather, it represents a deviant mutation of the truth. I agree with him. Because, think about it, it doesn't point to Christ. That's the problem. Like a deadly virus, he goes on, He gains access into the church by maintaining a superficial connection to certain Christian characteristics. But, in the end, it always corrupts and distorts sound teaching. The resulting degradation like a doctrinal version of Frankenstein's monster is a hideous hybrid of heresy, ecstasy, and blasphemy awkwardly dressed in the tattered remnants of evangelical language. It even calls itself Christian, but in reality it's a sham, a counterfeit form of spirituality that continually morphs as it spirals erratically from one error to the next. I wish he would tell us what he really thought about him. <laughs> he goes on. And I think his point's worth noting. The incredible irony is that those who talk the most about the Holy Spirit generally deny his true work. And that's what I'm getting at. It's a denial of his true work. What is his true work? He will glorify Christ. That's what you should walk away with, to learn and know of Christ. And that's what changed my thought to think, this is not a small thing, this is a big thing. Because Christ is hidden, and the work and the power of the Spirit then is, is blasphemed, if you will. They attribute all kinds of human silliness to him while ignoring the genuine purpose and power of his ministry, freeing sinners from death, giving them everlasting life, regenerating their hearts, transforming their nature, and empowering them for spiritual victory. Confirming their place in the family of God, interceding for them according to the will of God, sealing them securely for their eternal glory, and promising to raise them from the, to immortality in the future, to promulgate a corrupted notion of the Holy Spirit and His work is nothing less than blasphemy. It's not benign; it's blasphemy because the Holy Spirit is God. He is to be exalted, honored, and adored along with the Father and the Son. He is to be glorified at all times, for he is and he does. He is to be loved and thanked by those he indwells, but for that to occur, he must be worshipped in truth. It's a sad twist of irony that those who claim to be the most focused on the Holy Spirit are the ones actually doing the most to abuse, grieve, insult, misrepresent, quench, and dishonor him. And how do they do it? By attributing to him words he didn't say, deeds he didn't do, phenomena he didn't produce, and experiences that have nothing to do with him. They boldly plaster his name on that which is not his work. In in Jesus' day, the religious leaders of Israel blasphemy blasphemously attributed the work of the spirit to Satan. The modern charismatic movement does the inverse, attributing the work of the devil to the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'll give you a little another mini-sermon. You may want to take a note. I won't preach this one, although I'd like to. Jonathan Edwards dealt with a false understanding of the Holy Spirit in his day, the Great Awakening. It was a day in which many truly came to Christ See, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is repentance and faith. You'll find that in the book of Acts, and you'll find that in various periods of history. But along with that, there's also a counterfeit, Although, when Jonathan Edwards preached Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and by then, by by the way, there was not uh, any emotionalism with it. If I was preaching, it, you guys would just, really would feel emotional. This is just who we are, I guess, in our culture. But there, he was just reading it. He couldn't, as I understand it, he couldn't even finish reading through it. And there were kind of falling around the ground. It and and was a work of the Holy Spirit. But about it, and he had great concerns, and that many were, were not truly being convicted by the Holy Spirit to confess Jesus as Lord. They were just following kind of group thing, right? They they were all jumping in. And then some of them were engaging in very various um, responses and so forth that that might have been their own emotional expressions but not really a true conviction of the holy spirit and so he wrote a book and challenged the folks to think about those things to to see okay what does it look like for the holy spirit to magnify to glorify jesus christ and in his style he used the exposition of Holy Scripture as a test for that very thing. Turn, if you're there, or not there, turn there. First John chapter four. First John chapter four, and the Apostle John, same one who wrote this Gospel, John that we're going through wrote this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out of the world. So, get it? he said there's there's some things that are true and some things that are false, so how do you measure? And how to you, how are you going to go about testing that? And in the exposition here, he gives you a way to test it. Let me enumerate it for you. And then I'll show you where he found it in Scripture here in this text. Number one, this is how you know it's the Spirit of God. How would you know it's the Holy Spirit then working? He's going to exalt Christ, so what would that look like? Verse 2. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the, has come in the flesh is from God. So number one. He magnifies or exalts the true Christ. In their particular circumstances at this time, this was the onset of maybe a proto-gnosticism or asceticism, the idea that uh, material things can't be uh, good, so therefore Christ couldn't have taken on flesh. We've already read earlier the Carmen Christi from the hymn of Christ in Philippians 2. What does it say? He took on the form of a servant. He took on flesh. He was born of a Virgin Mary. Scripture has been clear about that, and yet here teachers were teaching the false doctrine. And how is that measured? Because it presents a false Christ. So the true work of the Holy Spirit is going to produce a true Christ. Many in the charismatic movement have a false view of Christ. A lot of aberrant theology is thrown on there. Here's number one, how do you know it's really the Spirit's work? Because he exalts Christ, and he exalts the true Christ. Second aspect here in our text here, if you notice, um, look down, well, he goes on and, and, and delineates, that will be John in here, That is that which is opposite to it, by the way, is the spirit of Antichrist, verse 3. The spirit of Antichrist. So he didn't think lightly of it either, by the way. It's blasphemy to present a Christ that is not of Scripture. But the second test can be found in verse 5. They're from the world and they speak of the world. That is, those that are given a false view and where the spirit is not working, they speak from the world. And the question would be, does it oppose worldliness? And this is not just in your lifestyle choices, this is in worldliness thought, worldliness thinking, the ideologies that come from the heart of man and ultimately the devil, Antichrist, but that are not Christ's words. So they speak worldliness. And number three, verse six, John said, we're from God. That is we're, we're an apostle. We, we've been given the words of God and... He wrote it down. He wrote this Gospel of John. He's writing this epistle. He'll write the book of Revelation. All of this has been given to John. How? By the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write it. Right? And you can tell because they will listen to us. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. They will not hear the apostolic message that is put in Scripture. They reject the scriptures. And the point is, the Holy Spirit will always point back to the scripture. Okay? This is what I attempt to do. I have a lot of ideas about a lot of things. But I hope, and some things we may have to uh, agree to disagree on, but in the end is the authority by which we're going to point to is the scriptures. And that's how you know it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you want to examine the scriptures to see if they're so, but that is our our source, not our own mind, not our own ideas and ideology. Everything relates to the scriptures and this is where the Holy Spirit is going to, as we've talked before, guide you in what? All truth. He will bring out remembrance of what Christ has said. Number four, does it elevate then the truth? Following in verse 6 here, by this we we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Who's the spirit of truth? It's the Holy Spirit. The truth then is elevated. And finally, number 5, his test was, well, does it produce a love for God and a love for one another? Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In the end, we're not talking about a superficial affections for one another, but a true love for one another in the body of Christ. Did you get that? His test then, to test the what is being proclaimed, is does it exalt the true work of Christ? Does it oppose worldliness? And this would include thought. Does it point people to the Scripture? Does it actually elevate the truth? Is that what's magnified? Because remember, Christ indeed is the truth. And does it produce a love for one another that is ultimately founded in Christ? I think it's an excellent guideline on how the Spirit might glorify Christ and how you might be able to measure that. Christ is ultimately exalted. Christ is glorified. That's how it will be brought about. Look back to John 16 and verse 14. In the Holy Spirit's work, exalt Christ, it will be the true Christ, and in verse 14, it's, you have a phrase twice there so that you don't miss it. He's going to take what is mine and declare it to you, verse 14. And it's repeated in verse 15. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Because the Father has given that to me, it, it, the thought, it's mine, it's the Father, the Spirit, and since, in that sense, they are one. This is talking about the trial Godhead. He'll continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. The Holy Spirit is not being sent to start another kingdom. He is to continue Christ. Because Christ is... is Viewing the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit is pointing to that very kingdom. Calvin in his book three of his institutes affirms the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. It must be so. For as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that is suffered and done for salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. The Holy Spirit ministers across the ages, bringing Christ and his salvation to those living before and after his redemptive work. There is no salvation apart from the Father's election and the Son's humiliation and exaltation. True, yet no one enjoys the benefits of Christ's saving life, death, and resurrection apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the vital bonding agent, the glue of the gospel, securing sinners immediately and permanently to Christ Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit communicates, announces, or proclaims. It isn't a different message. It is silent in that sense. It is kind of behind the scenes in that sense because why? All that is magnified and all that is made known is that very work of Christ. I'll run down just a few examples and you can just listen And look later, you won't be able to turn as quickly. I may announce a few of these verses. We'll see what we get through. If you want to, you can. Otherwise, just listen and think about the work of, of the Holy Spirit who manifests the glory of Christ. What is he declaring? What is he disclosing? What is he revealing in the heart? He's revealing... And we've already mentioned it before, the Holy Scriptures. Second Timothy 3.16, No prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were what? Born along, carried along by the very Holy Spirit. We've already talked about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. John 16.8, he convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who declares Christ in the regeneration of the believer. Titus 3:5 He saved us not by the works not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the holy spirit you won't come to god through, without this work of this vital work of the holy spirit he baptizes those that are in christ in the spiritual body of christ 1 corinthians 12:13 for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. He's not talking about water baptism. This is talking about immersion into Christ. How will that come out? Come about? It is through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit then that will clean, sanctify, and. And be that one who seals the justification of the believer, first corinthians six eleven we're talking about those that are ungodly and engaged in all kinds of worldliness. he says such were some of you that is that is the default condition of all of us, but what changed? but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By what? By the Spirit of our God. It is in the name of Christ. It is by the Spirit of Christ. Beloved, if you're in Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. How has that come about? It is Romans 8, 14. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are indeed then sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit that is the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, the Father. We're adopted into the family. We're made one with Christ. But but note the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the very Spirit of God who adopts us into His family as sons. It is the Spirit who sanctifies. Romans fifteen, fifteen. Paul talks about his circumstances as a minister of God. It's a grace that has been given to him to, to preach the gospel then to the Gentiles, that they might be saved. He would say that they might be acceptable and then sanctified by the Holy Spirit, by the set Spirit in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who would do, who do this very work. In Christ Jesus then, he says, I have... I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. How will they then come to obedience of the faith, is what he's talking about? Verse 19, by the power of the signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way down to Iconium, I have fulfilled my ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who empowers the believer. Then to serve, Peter would say in First Peter four: Whoever speaks speaks as speak as the, uh, the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is the Holy Spirit, then, that would indwell every single believer in Christ. This is why it is your advantage, because he will indwell every single believer. Jesus would say in chapter 14 of, and verse 17, even the spirit of truth, that one that he would send, who the world can't be saved, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. It is the Holy Spirit then that will grant the gifts that are required and needed for the church. First Corinthians twelve, he says, "I want you to understand this." First Corinthians twelve three, that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's not saying they can mouth the words; anybody can say whatever they want to say. He's saying truly from the heart. The only reason. That folks don't, uh, uh, th- th- that uh, they, they say Jesus is a curse is because they don't have the Holy Spirit and any, any way in which someone would confess that Jesus is Lord, it is because the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. He says there's a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There's a variety of services, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's the common good? It's for the church. Beloved, every one of you have been given, if you're in Christ, you have been given... The Holy Spirit, He will empower you, and will gift you to be able to do the work of the ministry to which you're called. And it includes, by the way, the love for one. So I'm not a natural loving person. It is the Spirit of Christ who work in your heart and give you compassion for other people. It is the Holy Spirit who will Fill us is the term that we often use. Ephesians five eighteen, where it says, "Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit." That filling is really thought of as control. He doesn't dwell, but there is a sense in which you may not be submissive to his control. And just like taking alcohol, you receive something. And it fills you, it controls you, it alters your behavior. That's the analogy used here. Don't be drunk with wine. That's going to be debauchery, but be what? controlled by the Holy Spirit. And how will it be evidence in your life? You address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. is not by dry on the inside but results in that which is overflows the outside, always giving thanks to God the Father, how in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's always going to be pointing back to that, not to himself but to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who declares the glory of Christ in killing sin in your life. If you struggle with sin and habitual sins and things like that, it is the Holy Spirit who will work in your life to kill that, Romans 8, 13. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. That's characteristic of an unbeliever. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, silently behind, bringing about conviction of sin and judgment. It is the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22, that will bring about the fruit of faith and obedience. The fruit of that Spirit that works within the believer is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law. In other words, we're off of that, right? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who will declare the words of Christ by guiding the truth, as I've alluded to already in the Scriptures in John 16, verse 13. He will guide. He won't speak of his own authority. to speak in the same essence, not something new, but bring that to remembrance of Jesus Christ and the teaching of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, Paul would say in Ephesians 1, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is by the Holy Spirit that you will have your eyes and your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. It is by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 3.18 that you can have the strength to comprehend with all the strength, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and that you might be fulfilled in the fullness of God. He does a lot more than we can imagine. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. Don't miss the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not nonsense. It's not gibberish. It's not foolishness. This is absolutely serious. If you want to exalt Christ in your life, see the work of the Holy Spirit work in your life And one of my favorite aspects of his work, Ephesians 4.30, the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He has a lot of work to do. A lot more that we can even discuss. All of this is behind the scenes. You probably don't think about the Holy Spirit doing this and, and more constantly because his... Goal, his role, his mission is to do what? Glorify Christ. He is to shine the light on Jesus Christ, because without the Holy Spirit you would remain in absolute darkness. You see Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now you know why it's to your advantage that Jesus sent him? There's a lot more than you think about. Jesus put it this way. He's going to glorify me. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that Christ would be exalted in all our life. We want this to happen, but it needs to happen dynamically through your power. And so I pray for those that are outside of Christ even right now that they may get a glimpse of his glory. For those that have been wandering a bit and attracted by lesser things, I pray that Christ would be more glorious even now. I pray what all that Christ has declared will be declared to our very hearts through the power of the Spirit, and we trust you for that. May you be exalted in this day, I pray in Christ's name, amen.